How do you use your post-cycle feedback to strengthen your application for next round? Do you have to redefine your study habits for medical school? How do you set boundaries with your family surrounding your limited time? And how do you strategize the match with a spouse in a PhD program? Today on Talking Admissions and Med Student Life, I interview Gwen, a fourth-year medical student here at the University of Utah School of Medicine. Helping you prepare for one of the most rewarding careers in the world. This is Talking Admissions and Med Student Life with your host, the Dean of Admissions at the University of Utah School of Medicine, Dr. Benjamin Chan. Well, welcome to another edition of Talking Admissions and Med Student Life. I have a great guest today, fourth year med student, Gwyn. How are you doing? Doing well. Post-match. Post-match. We're not going to talk about where you matched until the end, kind of like (laughs) some suspense. All right, so Gwyn, let's start in the beginning. Um... When did you decide to become a doctor? You know, I think I had thought about it for a while. When I was a kid, I always thought I'd be an architect. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think, like, pretty classic pre-med, started getting science, really liked that. Um, I did have a family member who was a physician, and so I think probably like a lot of people who have parents that are physicians, that's just kind of in your mind something you might want to do because you're seeing their career and what they like. Um, So I thought about it, got into college, um, really started enjoying the sciences, but really felt like medicine was how I wanted to practice those sciences. Mm -hmm. Um, And so kind of solidified it by my first or second year of undergrad. Okay. So I'm going to break that down because you grew up in Utah, right? Yeah, yeah. Where'd you go in undergrad? University of Puget Sound up in Tacoma, Washington. So why there? How'd you end up there? I always... like, I, 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 don't, I don't know if they have a large presence in Utah or maybe they have a lot of alumni running around. No. Like, how'd, how'd you end up up I north? I was like a very naive 17-year-old and was like, oh, I want to go to a liberal arts school if I even knew what that was. Um, and the Pacific Northwest sounded cool. And so that was kind of like where I ended up looking and then got there and ended up really liking it. But it was, you know, I kind of thought back on that. Like that was... I don't know, maybe silly. I think I could have gone anywhere. Or I mean, like, did you go on a campus tour? Yeah, and, I went and looked. I, I, I assume they have nice-looking buildings, and there's like it's beautiful. there's I a Pacific breeze the from the ocean, and it's coffee and seafood. Yeah, and yeah. the Northwest is really cool and very different than Utah. I wanted to spend some time outdoors, and just those lush forest areas are pretty entrancing. Mm-hmm. Okay, were you the only one from Utah up there? Or no, there's there's actually like quite a few people that end up in okay. that area, or okay. Lewis and Clark, or. Portland State, um, so quite a few Utahns okay. kind of end up there. Okay. So you're up there and loving the sciences, solidified your decision to go to medical school, and then what happened next? Um, definitely kind of like got on that train, started checking all the boxes, everything I thought I should be doing. I ended up taking the MCAT pretty early. Um, I applied trying to go straight through, so I guess that would have been at the end of my junior year, okay. um, kind of coming into my senior year. Um, applied not to a ton of schools, um, but definitely was wanting to come back to Utah and to Salt Lake City. Um, interviewed here pretty early, um, and then kind of went through the process. I had didn't end up actually. I don't think I got any other interviews. Like I only interviewed at Utah. So how many how many applications did you fill out the first time? Ten. Okay. Something like that. Ten-ish. Ten-ish. And got one interview offer. Yeah. All right. Um. So part of you is like, oh, okay, that's 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 okay, but it would have been better to have more interview offers. Yes, okay. I definitely yeah. felt kind of surprised and disappointed, but I like really wanted to go to Utah, so mm-hmm. I was excited about interviewing there and going there. Um, and waited to hear, and then in March, I think it was March, April, mm-hmm. I'm forgetting now. And what year is this? This was 2014, when okay. I graduated. Okay. Um, got waitlisted, mm-hmm. and so then was waiting. Um, and then I think in June is when I heard that I like didn't make it off the waitlist and was kind of needing to figure out what I was going to do that next year and definitely felt like I would reapply. Okay. 
Okay. And I think at that time, and we still have this process in place, I think you got feedback. Yes, I did. Okay. So a good pre-med team advisor up at UPS? Yes. All right. Okay. Yes. Okay. So what was some of the feedback? I don't know if you can remember. Yes. No, I definitely remember. Okay. Um, I had good MCAT scores, but not great. And I had really good grades. Um, And so I think I was feeling very surprised that, like, I hadn't done better in the application process. I think that might be common for a lot of people kind of like, oh, well, like I mm-hmm. do well academically. So like I should get into medical school. Um, and but everyone on some level does well. Exactly. Yeah, um, so. so then you look at your feedback and I really felt like a lot of it was like really valid. And so it was definitely, it was like a hard process, but it was like a really good learning process. So some of the things I got, one was that a lot of the volunteer work I had done, um, I think looked superficial. And when I like really reflected on it, I think it was like, mm-hmm. I was definitely, I was super I just wanted to do really well academically. And so I think the volunteer things I did were definitely to kind of to check off boxes and they weren't really like, I just wasn't that invested in it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I really took that to heart. So I had moved back back to Utah after I graduated. Um, and so I ended up finding a few different things that I wanted to do in Salt Lake um, that would actually engage me with my community. Um, mm-hmm. And so I had kind of, I'd end up taking this gender studies class my late junior or se- I guess it was early in my senior year, um, which was totally new for me. I'd just taken it because I liked the professor, mm-hmm. um, but thought that would be weird. And then ended up loving kind of women's issues and women's health issues. And so I ended up getting involved here with Planned Parenthood. Um, and I okay. volunteered at the county jail where I taught sex ed. And then I also volunteered with the Rape Recovery Center um, mm-hmm. and worked on the crisis line with them. Um, and so those were kind of the two main community things I did. And it like changed a lot of how I ended up thinking about my career and what I wanted to do. That's excellent. Um, so that ended up being really cool. Yeah. And then for people, like, I mean, did you just cold call them or do they have like a website where you can kind of click on boxes and volunteer? Right, the Center had boxes and you could like fill out an application and okay. then go through that. It, it takes a while though mm-hmm. to like get everything in place. Background checks and all that all stuff. All that yeah. stuff. Yeah. And then similar with Planned Parenthood, I think it's different now. At that time, um, I filled out an application and then could immediately start volunteering at the jail. It takes a lot of hoops to actually get into the jail, but I could start that process immediately. I think now they have you volunteer as like an ambassador or something first Mm -hmm. before you can get involved with like more of the program side of things. And did you change your strategy? Did you like apply to more schools or different schools? And did you get more interview offers the second time around? I did. Yeah. Yeah. So I applied to a lot more schools. I think more like almost 30 um, I played, like, I hadn't done any of the Texas schools. I played to, like, all the Texas schools. Um, and then I think I ended up getting five or six interviews, but I interviewed at the U early and then got into the U. And I had gone on one other interview to date by mm-hmm. that time. And then when I got into the U, I ended up canceling my other ones because I wasn't as excited about them as I was Okay, Utah. all right. Um, and just accepted Utah. So looking back, I, I you know, bittersweet, didn't get in the first time, but do you feel that was... A good year for me for kind of not jumping right from undergrad into I, I essentially it created a gap year I get this it did create yeah. a gap year okay it did end up being beneficial you know mm-hmm. I guess in a lot of ways the way I've ended up so I actually ended up meeting um the person I'm not married to mm-hmm. in my class and so I can't actually think about that year without getting I'm not even particularly spiritual but without feeling like things happened for a reason because I don't know that we would have met if I hadn't gotten in the first time so mm-hmm. one it was a good growing experience but two I like can't think about the entire thing without thinking about that because mm-hmm. it just feels very I don't know how things were supposed to happen. Yeah, yeah, it kind of just worked out for the best. Yeah. Timing. Timing. A lot of a lot of what happens in life is serendipity, timing, yes. a little bit of luck sprinkled in. Yeah. So all right. Um yeah, from my vantage point, yeah, like when you hit my radar I remember like I worked on that feedback. I was I, I 
put a lot of good notes in there. And then I'm shocked by how many people don't listen to my feedback and just keep on doing what they do. And I remember the committee, when your application came up, they were very like, wow, this is a really strong application. Like, wow, she really did a lot of great stuff after graduating. So I think that that was very pivotal. And, and like just the growth that you demonstrated and showed, the committee was really impressed by. Well, so, that makes me happy. That yeah. would shock me that someone, if someone who didn't let you into medical school was telling you what to do to get in, that you wouldn't do. <laughs> but, um... You know, life is fun. You know? <laughs> All right, so you start medical school. So this is the fall of... Fall of 2015. 2015. Um, you know, and one of my favorite questions I ask, Gwen, is, uh, you know, people have this view of medical school. It's like, it's kind of interesting, like, you know... When you're outside and you have this view of medical school, like you kind of like think, oh, it's like this, this, and this. And then you start medical school. I mean, what, like, did it meet your expectations? Was it harder? Was it easier? I mean, how would you describe, you know, those first few months? The first few months are really overwhelming and they're very, they were very different. You know, I went, I went to a small art school. So, like, mm-hmm. the big classes and um, the amount of information was just very different um, than my undergraduate. Um, but in some ways, it was a lot the same. And I think one of the things I definitely learned was, you might think it's more different than it actually is. So you start medical school and um, frequently you'll like, you know, they'll do little things with the upperclassmen and they'll tell you how to study and all this stuff. And kind of, you're just like overwhelmed with all these like advice and tips and resources, which are very great and awesome. But it also, you kind of just look at these people and you're like, Oh, well you've been in medical school for a year and you're telling me that I need to do X, Y, Z thing and um, study totally differently. And medical school is so different and I'm going to have to do everything differently. So I like threw everything I'd done in undergrad, like out the window was like, Oh, I need to do, Anki flashcards and I need to do everything online and I need to do all of these things. Um, and that didn't actually go very well for me. And like mm-hmm. my first test didn't go that well. And, um, I kind of had to go back and be like, wait, I, I do know how to study. I have done this before and I have been doing this for a long time. And I went back to a lot more of kind of what academic strategies I had done in undergrad and that worked better for me, you know, obviously mm-hmm. incorporating new things, but remembering that you know how to be a student mm-hmm. and you're still just a student. Did you feel that, Coming from a small liberal arts college, you were prepared? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Because I know, like... Academically, yeah. Because, I, I, you know, I've talked to a lot of people, and sometimes I go, like, you know, like, my undergraduate career is more like, you know, these seminars or essay tests, and all of a sudden you pivot to this culture where there's multiple choice everywhere, and just, like you said, like, get the volume of information. It's pretty fast-paced. And, it was different. Yeah, I, I had, yeah. like, I probably took one multiple choice test in college. Mm-hmm. Um, so definitely that was different, but I, you know, I was a science major. I think that was helpful. I had seen a lot of bio, I was a biochemistry major. I'd seen all the biochemistry before and I had memorized things for biology. So mm-hmm. it wasn't too different. No. And sometimes I, I, I wonder about the culture. Cause like, I, you know, I go out and do these presentations where I talk to a lot of different pre-med groups across Utah and I kind of tell them like, look, you know, like this is the best and brightest from BYU, from Utah state, Weber state, here, but also, and you, you're part of this cohort, there's all these people that grew up in Utah, went out of state for college, and they're coming back, and they're they're super smart, too. So you, you put everyone in, like, this environment where, you know, there's, like, type A personalities for the most part, and, and people want to excel and do well. So I think it just makes for a fascinating culture. I mean, uh, what were your impressions? I mean, no, I, yeah, I yeah, think yeah. it was yeah. when I, so in Puget Sound, I was, like, you know, a quote unquote type A person sat in the front and I think everyone kind of viewed me in that way. And I sat in the back row of medical school <laughs> for the first two years. So you're like, I think your peers perception of you and who you, I just felt a little different. I think mm-hmm. I went from being the like, uh, like in some ways I think I, I felt even maybe like a little looked down upon or something like I was super career driven or something mm-hmm. like that. Um, 
and that here that was kind of the norm and I actually felt like on the more relaxed side of people. Mm-hmm. How did you find balance? In life? During medical school. During yeah. medical school? Yeah. Um, because, because the academic part can be all-consuming if you, if you let it. Yeah. 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 I think like a lot of people, especially in Salt Lake, I try to get outside. Um, mm-hmm. And so especially in the first two years, would always try to go skiing or hiking, you know, once a week or something like that. Um, and then other exercise things throughout the week. Um, one of the things I found challenging was actually being back home in that I'm really close with my family um, and my partner's really close with his family. And we love that and love spending time with them. Um, but that was like a time commitment that I hadn't had in undergrad because my family didn't live there. Mm. Um, and so family expectations and, you know, you want to spend time with them, mm. but um, finding that balance, that was pretty hard, but I mm. did try to spend time with them, but still like set some boundaries about what I had time for and what I didn't. Okay. Well, you mentioned your partner. Can we say his name? Yes. Jake. Jake. All right. So <laughs> let's hear that story. So when did you guys, when, like, when did he, you appear on each other's radar? You know, <laughs> we met at the social at Poplar, like the Saturday before medical school started. Okay. So um, orientation week. Mm-hmm. Okay. And we actually have a ton of mutual friends going back forever. Like our parents to each other. His, like, next-door neighbor was actually my brother's college roommate in Montana randomly. Like, all of these connections, but we had never met. So okay. I, like, knew who he was, but I had never so met You him. heard of each other, but yeah. didn't know each other. Okay. So was it love at first sight, or were you guys <laughs> friends first, or? Jake should tell the story. Um, we were friends first. Okay. Um, I was not immediately interested, but Jake was, apparently. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, and then we started dating in maybe October. Okay. So right there during first year. Yeah. And did you guys keep it kind of like secret for a while? Because I know there's like this weird kind of dynamic. weird. Yeah, this dynamic. Because like, like, like for those who don't know, like so med school, like one of the cool things about it and also the challenging aspects is as a class, you kind of march through the curriculum together. So you see each other every day. You start doing rotations together. So dating each other can get tricky at times because sometimes couples get together and stay together, but sometimes they don't. And so there's this dynamic so what was it like in your class? I was very concerned about this concept of, oh, we're going to be in the same class for two, you know, like, mm-hmm. and very much together for the first two years. And what if we, things don't work out and it's going to be super awkward. And that just really wasn't like a thing at all. Mm-hmm. That was like, now looking back, it seems really silly to have worried about, um, you know, the class definitely had little, would tease us about it and things. I, we're, I, we were the only couple that got together in our class, which mm-hmm. I think is kind of unusual. Mm-hmm. Um, so it didn't end up, it wasn't too weird. Okay. Well, weird at first. Did you guys like sit together, study together? I mean, yeah, we spent like every hour together. Um, we would study in the same space. We didn't do a lot of actually studying together. Um, but we'd study in the same areas. Um, and then we would sit together and kind of do things through the first years, but spent a huge amount of our time together before he left to get his PhD. And that was my next question. So he, he's on a different track. He is. He's on the MD PhD track. So how would you describe that to people who don't know? Yeah. Yeah. So you do two years of medical school, and then you step out to get a PhD, which takes three to five years, um, and that can be in anything. Jake's is in biochemistry. And then you re-enter medical school for the third and fourth year. Mm -hmm. And it's for people that, I think, for the most part, want to do a large, a lot of basic science kind of in their careers, Mm -hmm. but also some clinical practice. So you start this journey together, and the first two years you're together, Mm -hmm. but then he kind of goes off in this direction, and you go off in this other direction. Yeah, it was different. (sighs) How was that? I mean, how did you, you navigate that? It yeah. was super hard. And third year, you're so busy. Um, so you just went, I went from seeing him like every second of the day to definitely not mm-hmm. <laughs> during third year. Um, he would try to work kind of when I was working. So I, you know, I think a lot of lab people 
or some amount of lab people end up kind of working later in the day and then they like work later at night. But like for instance, when I was on OB, Jake would drop me off at labor and delivery at five in the morning and go into lab and then he was like ready to leave with me at mm. the end of the day. So that worked well. Okay. So there's a perception that when you get your PhD, there's like a little bit more flexibility in the schedule. That is true. Okay. I, it always bothers like our classmates always say these things like, oh, is Jake like so relaxed? Like, how is that? And mm -hmm. it just like drives me nuts because he works so hard. Mm -hmm. um, so it's definitely, it's a lot of time and it's a lot of stress and it's very different stress, um, but it is more flexible. Okay. Because like, yeah, like there's like experiments running and yeah. research protocols and like sometimes yeah. they run at night. So exactly. yeah, it's good old badge card access oh, to get into the lab. All right. So... Um, if I had talked to you at the beginning of med school, because what I remember about your application, I would have said, oh, I think, I, I think Gwen's going to go into OBGYN <laughs> yeah. or something similar. Talk about the, how did your career choice evolve and like, how did, and how much did third year kind of factor into that? Like, how did, how did that evolve? Third year was the most, was most of it. So yeah, I had kind of developed this interest in reproductive health, reproductive justice, women's issues. And um, I think I thought that that meant I should be an OBGYN. Like, oh, these are my interests. Mm -hmm. Therefore, I should be an obstetrician gynecologist. Um, and those definitely are my maybe social interests. Um, but kind of third end of second year and then third year starting, I realized that academically and kind of professionally, I was I really loved internal medicine. So it was one of my first rotations. I think it was my second rotation, third year. Um, and I just loved it. I loved how we thought about things. I loved working through problems. I really liked the breadth, um, just every different patient, every different type of organ system. Um, big, long medication lists, I think, freak a lot of people out. I like loved it, thinking mm. about all these different things, how they interplayed. Um, big, long rounds. Big, long rounds. I was like, <laughs> yeah, totally yeah. fine rounding, with that. Oh, rounding, rounding forever. Yeah, yeah rounding um, internal medicine that's is, fine. is notorious. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, and so I just loved it. And I, I liked my OB rotation a lot as well. I had that later in my third year and definitely... You know, I think you hear a lot of people like, oh, I thought I would love this and I hate it. I did not hate it at all. It was awesome. It's mm. amazing. Um, but internal medicine just seemed like a much better fit for me. Mm -hmm. um, I was a lot more excited about it. So ob guy and internal medicine was kind of neck and neck for a while? Or, or is it just like internal medicine was internal just... Internal so kind of took over. Took over. And I, okay. I think because I had thought I was going to be an OB for so long, I like held on to that. Um, but I felt really good and secure about my decision. Mm-hmm. So you decided to go into internal medicine. What was your strategy at the start of fourth year when it comes to match? It was a little different than I think a lot of people's um, mm -hmm. because I, yeah, it was just different. Um, I think a lot of people have the option to maybe go anywhere. Mm -hmm. um, because Jake's in the MD-PhD program, I obviously have the option to go everywhere, but that was like a huge consideration is where he would be and how we were going to work through that. And so... I knew that I thought I really wanted to go to Utah, but I also really wanted to seriously consider my options and not get in this place where either I put all my eggs in the Utah basket and that doesn't work out, or, you know, 10 years from now, I'm like, well, I stayed in Utah for you and I mm -hmm. could have gone somewhere else. I'd be weird like, if you talk like that in 10 years, too. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Sounds like some progeria going on, Gwen. You should go see internist about that. Yeah. Perfect. Yeah. Um, so I wanted to feel really good about it. Um, and that was also the advice, you know, it's kind of, I guess a little funny. So in internal medicine, they're really awesome about working with our 
medical students here and like mm-hmm. do a lot of advising. And so I was sitting down with the program director and the assistant program directors, um, and they talked to you about where you want to go and you can be really open and honest. But it was kind of funny because it was like, oh, well, I, I want to go here. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I mean, from um, a strategy, did you just show all your cards? Were you just so honest with them going, you know what, my, my partner's here. I did tell you're, them you're that my number one. Beginning. And that was yeah. advice, you know, I got from our, our Dean, Adam Stevenson, um, kind of about where I should go or like how I should go about it or how people had kind of done that in the past, being like upfront about it, but not super in their face um, or acting like you for sure thought you would get in here, you know, anything like not being, um, I don't know the word, not humble. I don't know, something like that. Um, so talked to them, told them what I wanted. But then I kind of like laid low and did my thing for a while. And then at the end, when I had like finished all my interviews, I kind of came back and said, I did end up telling them that I was ranking them number one. Mm -hmm. So how many programs did you apply to? I applied to 16 programs. 16? Mm -hmm. Okay. And how many interview offers did you get? I got interviews at 13. Okay. And And did you go on No. I went to eight. Oh, you went to eight. Yeah. So I kind of did... A lot of, like, eight programs, maybe, like, five programs I was, like, very interested in, and then some reaches, and I didn't really get interviews at kind of, like, my more reach schools, and then some schools I, like, wasn't as excited about, um, and then at Utah, they interview all the students going to the University of Utah first, um, and so that was my first interview, which was kind of nerve-wracking, because that's where I wanted to go, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but I did that first, and then I had my other interviews in November, December, and then kind of towards the end of December, you get all this stress because everyone's talking about like how many interviews you need to go on and what you need to do. And, um, there's this huge fear of not matching. Um, but I felt confident in the programs I had interviewed at that, like I was going to match somewhere. Mm-hmm. Um, and I did, I felt good about Utah. I didn't want to put all my eggs in that basket, but I felt pretty good about it. And so I ended up canceling a few of my last ones, just kind of on a money time yeah. soul sort of thing. When you interview at other programs, did you also share like, you know, like, the existence of Jake and how he's back in Utah, or is that something again you didn't really share because you didn't want them to like rank you lower because of that? Do you, do you see what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah no, yeah. I do. I was super like wigged out about it. I just mm-hmm. thought I was going to get all this like questions, and yeah, they weren't going to rank me or something. I like even thought about like not wearing my wedding ring or something. Mm-hmm. Um, but no one actually cared or asked me, <laughs> <laughs> so that like wasn't an issue at all. Um, in San Diego, I interviewed at a few programs there. Um, and that was a kind of a city we identified that like would maybe work for transfer or whatever. And so when I was in that city, I did kind of tell them and it was like, this is one of the cities that'll work for us at some of the institutions. I just didn't mention it. Um, because I kind of felt like it was none of their business. And it they, it yeah. wasn't germane. Yeah. yeah. And they might rank. It wasn't relevant. Okay. Um, and then you mentioned San Diego. So I get the sense you were kind of focused in it the West. Geographical. It was yes. geographical. But then also you mentioned transfer. So did, did Jake do a little bit of like research into like what programs yeah, would did. even accept transfers? But it was I know, like, yeah. it was a con- so I guess even the U on our website, we say we don't accept any transfers, but sometimes they will for like special circumstances. Uh, yes, special circumstances. But priority is given to those whose partner matches into a postgraduate program. So, so if like I had matched... If I wasn't from here and had matched here, then you would give maybe preference to preference. someone, but they still have to meet all our criteria, et cetera, et cetera. There's still a process. Yeah. So we kind of looked, but we were kind of like, well, we'll probably be able to figure this out. Like if at any of the places, if that works, there was one school. So UT Southwestern, I interviewed there and really loved it. That was actually kind of hard. I like mm-hmm. really liked it there and thought I might want to go there. Um, and that was a place we thought Jake could transfer the last two years, but maybe even in the middle of his PhD, there was a lab there that was very similar to his lab. So we were kind of trying to figure that out, but it's hard to like 
get, you know, full steam rolling on something that mm-hmm. you don't know is going to happen yet or not, or you're not even sure if you want to happen yet. Okay. So these programs, they email you the love letters. I mean, what was your strategy? Oh, what the was love your... letter thing totally stressed me out. So you have this big lecture, and basically at every single interview I went for, for internal medicine, they would say, do not send us a thank you note. Mm-hmm. Like, not only, like, do you not need to, like, but please don't. Okay. It'll and, be a mark against you yeah. if you don't and, like, listen to this specific instruction in this moment. Yes. Do not send a thank you note. And so I'm Wait. sitting there, I'm like, okay, great. I'm not going to send a thank you note. They told me not to. Yeah. Um, and then you're, like, talking to people afterwards, and they're like, oh, God, they say that, but of course you sent thank you notes. And yeah. I had not sent a single thank you note. So I was like, well, crap. <laughs> <laughs> uh, this is the worst. And then you're sitting there with Dr. Stevenson, and he's kind of going over everything and is saying all this stuff about love letters. And I'm just sitting there freaking out because mm-hmm. I was told not to, and I don't know what to do. And so all the internal medicine people were kind of wigging out mm-hmm. as a group. And so we kind of talked to our program director about it and they felt like that was not something we needed to do. And besides your number one, that those were kind of useless. So mm-hmm. that was the advice a lot of us got. I don't know what anyone else did. I knew I wanted to go to Utah. Several people had told me I should tell our program director that they were my number one. So I did. Mm-hmm. And then I didn't talk to anyone else and I didn't send a single thing, you know, <laughs> <laughs> Okay. But it was I was like stressed about it. You just okay. get all this I don't know. So you talk to our own evidence. our own people here, Utah. Like you clearly communicate you want to stay number one, number yeah. one. Did you feel compelled to like do like extra rotations here to kind of show off your skill or I did. And or, yeah, I guess that you know, was doing skill. more sub eyes. I mean, how did you kind of formulate that? Because you wanted to stay early in the yeah. fourth year when I thought that most likely I would want to stay here. I scheduled like all of I scheduled a lot of things at the U mm. for my whole fall. So instead of doing something at IMC, for instance, like my sub I did, I tried to do everything here where okay. there was just more people that I thought would know me and the program director. And okay. That sort of thing. All right. Um, and so going up to February, your rank list. Yeah. So there's, there's a term that, it's not the most politically correct term, suicide matching, meaning you only list one program. Did that ever come into your... Heck no. Okay, all right. So what was your, what, how, what was your thought process going um, into creating your rank list? With, I just, with these eight programs you met, you, yeah, you, you interviewed at. I think yeah. it would have been hard to be long distance with Jake, um, but I think it would have been a lot harder to not match. Um, so I definitely, I put Utah's number one. But I definitely ranked every program I interviewed at um, because I wanted to go somewhere. Mm -hmm. Um, The other places I put, I ended up putting um, other schools that I loved but maybe would have been even more difficult, second and third. And then kind of places that were, it was actually, no, it was the whole thing was based on where I wanted to go, actually. Mm -hmm. And some would have been more challenging for us to do long distance. But at that point, I felt pretty good about Utah happening. So it kind of all felt like a formality. Any, I mean, like, I think it's fascinating because, like, you know, I've talked to a lot of couples who did the couples match. What you went through is very different. Yeah. Any, like, any thoughts or feelings, like, like, towards Jake? Like, oh, you know, you like, talk about Southwestern. You could have matched there. You could have gone there. But then, like, you know, but he needs to stay here. So, like, like, feeling of compromise. Absolutely. You know, like, and how did you navigate that in a relationship where, again, all things being equal, you guys are equal partners, but, like, someone is making, quote, unquote, a sacrifice. Yeah. Yeah, how'd you do that? We talked about that a lot. Um, It was, it's the first life decision I've made with another person. You know, we just, we got, we met in medical school, we got married after our second year. Um, So everything I've done in my life to this point has just been what I want to do and what worked for my career. And so that was a big learning curve and decision was kind of going through that together. Um, and I was feeling really unsettled for kind of the whole fall. And there was kind of this moment in December where Jake had kind of 
done a lot more research and kind of figured out that like maybe he could move to UT Southwestern, which at that point I had like really, really liked that school. Um, and there was just something about him having like made that effort and having it actually like kind of feel more like a choice for the first time that it just like felt like this like huge like weight off my shoulders and I just felt so much better about the whole thing and it like felt so much clearer and so I, I did we put a lot of thought into that like do we want to try to rank you know I don't know that I would have even matched there but would we want to rank UT Southwestern work and try to have Jake transfer mid PhD and do all that and um, we decided not to and that Utah felt like a lot better and a lot better for us um, but having had him make that effort um and have it really feel like a choice felt really really good okay it felt very validating yeah 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 because i can i can see that i mean i think it's not uncommon when two people are very successful and have careers um and that wanting to stay together but if one gets a great job offer in another location it's it's hard for the other partner to have the exact same opportunity so the yeah. so the concept of sacrifice yes. and i think it's it's common in all relationships, all marriages, all couples, as they navigate this thing we call life. So yeah. I was just kind of curious to see how you and Jake kind of figured that out together. It ended yeah. up working really well. And I think it's something that, like you said, will kind of be coming up again and again. Mm-hmm. Um, on but take, t- taking turns. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And we're going to have to work through this yeah. several more times. So. so February, you submit your list. Yep. From February to March. Feeling good? Second I thoughts? super anxious. And, you know, they had essentially told me, you know, they can't, like, exactly tell you, but they had, like, essentially told me I was coming, like, of course I would match here. Mm-hmm. But it's just this weird moment in your life where your entire future is, and it's not really this way, but it feels like it is in a single person's hands. Mm-hmm. Like, when you're applying to medical school, you know, there's, like, the admissions people, but yeah. there's, like, a whole committee, and there's all these, like, kind of, like, precedents and things. And, and there's the same thing for residency. And maybe I'm wrong, but my perception was that, um, the residency program here, director here could like, she, I think really liked me, but at some moment could be like, Oh, I, I don't actually like Gwen and like, could just change my entire future. Squash you like a bug. Yeah. In yeah. like a second. Yeah. And that just felt so vulnerable and I did not like it, you mm-hmm. know, and, as opposed to like for the rest of your career, if one person doesn't like you, but you're otherwise doing well, that's not going to mm-hmm. totally tank you. Um, so that was uncomfortable. But it all worked out. So, so you adopted a strategy of avoiding it, like all the power players within internal medicine. Kind of not. Yeah. I was like involved in this like women's leadership group, and I was like had invited um, the program director like to this thing, and then we ended up having like a miscommunication like about the mm-hmm. event, and I like wigged out. I was like, she's gonna hate me, and she's gonna like <laughs> drop me off her list. Yeah. And, um, but that didn't happen. Okay, so that was good. All right, all right, all right. So uh, match week uh, Monday. Were you stressed at all about not matching? Were you re- like, was your anxiety level on Monday higher than on Friday? So mm-hmm. Monday you find out if you matched, and Friday you found out where you matched. I felt like I would match. Okay, so you were not worried. I was not worried, that. but okay. you still have this like, you know, and it, the numbers for internal medicine, and you can like they have all these things online where you can like plug in like I don't know a bunch of your data and see how many people have like matched, and mm-hmm. so I felt like statistically very comfortable that I would match. But you do get all this like. I think just anxiety about like, well, what if, you know, mm-hmm. you never know, like bad, weird things happen. Um, so I wasn't too stressed. I just went on nights. So I set an alarm, mm-hmm. woke up in the morning, I'd matched, went okay. to sleep. Where? Friday. Who's there? <laughs> I didn't want to invite my parents. <laughs> Why? <laughs> I felt like I was like most likely going to match at Utah. And then if I didn't, I was going to be like utterly devastated. And if there's anyone in the world who could like make me cry, it would be like looking over at my mom and seeing that she's like, oh, like my poor baby and like feeling badly for me. And I would start crying. <laughs> so I kind of. So it was more of a defensive measure. Yeah, I kind of okay. didn't want to invite them. But okay. then I decided they might 
not love that, so I did end up inviting them. Okay. Jake. Okay. So he got he came down from the lab. Came down from lab. Okay. We opened the letter. I matched at Utah. Okay. I mean, how did it feel? It felt really good. Okay. I just felt like I just felt so relieved. Um, the whole day, I thought the whole day was a little weird. Like it's a little um, mm-hmm. theatrical or something. Yeah, um, it's kind of developed into a thing. Yeah. yeah, and where I like kind of felt like I was most likely going to match here, you know, it wasn't really a surprise. So the whole thing was a little, it felt a little funny to me. Anticlimactic. A little, yeah. Okay. Um, right. But it was so fun to see where, like where all my classmates were going. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that was a surprise for a lot of them, and it was fun to see who else was coming. Going to be in Utah. Yeah. Year. How big is the program here? The Thirty term- categoricals, which okay. means people that will continue in internal medicine for all three years. Mm-hmm. Um, but medicine is also a specialty where you have preliminary interns who do a year in medicine before they go on to do something like neurology or um, anesthesia. And so there's 30 categorical and then 30 prelim Oh, okay. Students. Pretty large. So my intern class will be 60. Okay. How many fellow classmates from Utah? There is one other woman, Taryn, who is internal medicine categorical. Okay. And then there's three or four people who are doing their prelim here next okay. year, which will be fun. Um, and then, you know, match was a couple weeks ago, a few weeks ago feeling good since then? Does it feel weird as you can't transition from med school to intern year? Or, I mean, how do you, I mean, where are you at right now? I'm very excited. Okay. Um, I'm a little nervous. Mm-hmm. Um, there's this security of being a medical student and not a doctor. Um, that's about to go away. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I remember the first time I got my contract, like, wow, I've never made that much money in my life. Yes, a paycheck. And then I think this is like a 30-page document, which is like, it's like a big deal. It's like, yeah. I have to read through this thing and sign yeah. it. A lot of it's just very lawyer-talky, so, yeah. So, I'm nervous, but really excited. I was on an internal medicine rotation in March, so I was, you know, around a lot of people who are going to be my co-residents or my uppers or whatever next year. So, that was fun. Mm-hmm. Um, people I'll be working with in the future. Wow. But I'm really excited. And then I and I know this is in the future, but have you already thought about fellowship? Is yeah. that in the cards? Like, what, 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 what yeah. medical student isn't always like looking? Yeah, 10 thinking years about ahead. yeah, <laughs> thinking about the next plan. Um, yeah. I don't know if I will do a fellowship or not. Right now, I think I want to do hospital medicine, which mm. does not require a fellowship. And I'm probably I don't think there are any like accredited fellowships, but there are some like kind of optional mm. fellowships for hospital medicine that I would think about. Um, we would like to move somewhere for Jake's residency, um, and I would kind of like to diversify my training in some sort of way. So I think I will do my residency here and then work as a hospitalist for at least a few years. And then if I want to do a fellowship in a subspecialty or in something like more work in quality improvement or hospital medicine, I would wait and apply to that until we know where Jake and I are moving okay. for his residency. Does he know what he wants to go into? He's not sure, and you know he hasn't done any of the clinical things. If mm. I were to guess, I would say medicine subspecialty. Okay. Um, and they have some like accelerated physician scientist training programs, um, which I like the sound of. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so I would guess something on cardiology or oncology, but mm. you never know. I'm going to pivot right now, Gwen. Let's talk about student government. Yeah. So you're pretty involved. Like, what are, what are the kind of different activities you're doing right now? Yeah. So I'm one of the student body co-presidents. There's three of us. Um, I'm also part of this group. We've gone through a few name changes, but right now we're going with, it's called We Will, um, Mm -hmm. Women Empowering Women in Leadership. And it's a women's leadership group that started my second year um, that has been really rewarding and really awesome. Um, And then as part of student government, but it kind of morphed into its own thing, we also started this peer mentoring program that we call U-Crew, which we kind of came up with as an idea to address this 
a couple different issues. One, we had a lot of peer mentoring programs that would pop up for like two months and then totally die and mm-hmm. fizzle out. So one, something we thought might be a little more lasting. And then two, there's this huge divide between preclinical students and clinical students. Mm-hmm. And like, I didn't know a single third or fourth year in my first or second year. And then now it, like you just don't see them because you're in the hospital and they're in the classes. And um, we felt like it would really benefit students to actually have some of those relationships and help them network and um, build more of a sense of community here. So it was our first year. We've had some successes, definitely some not so successes. But the whole idea was to have these little quote unquote crews. It was 100% opt in, but first, second, third and fourth year students um, and kind of trying to encourage more just organic um, community within those little groups, but creating a space where they could get together and text each other before their step one day and mm-hmm. kind of that sort of thing. And then doing a couple of big events each year. And that's been really cool. And I um, we're actually like meeting next week to kind of pass that on to the next mm-hmm. group and talk about how they want to take that next year. For a program, yeah, to have sustained success, you need to, like, groom yes, like, exactly. fellow leaders after you. Yeah, I actually, I ended up the having yeah. the class presidents, like, nominate people in their classes that they thought would um, do a good job with mm-hmm. it and kind of approach those people to take over. So student body president. Yeah. What does that mean? What does that entail? It's a lot of administrators. <laughs> it's a lot of like answering emails and making sure everything's happening. Going to meetings. Yeah. Going to meetings. Yeah. Um, the main thing is kind of supporting the class leadership and helping them with everything they're doing and checking in and helping them navigate that process. We have three main events we're in charge of, which are our formal, or we call it prom. Um, sweet. A roast at the end of the year, which is always fun. Super sweet. And then elections for the incoming students. Mm-hmm. Um, and then besides that, it's a lot of what you want it to be. So for us this year, um, this new peer mentoring program was something that we wanted to do and that we were in charge of and put up. But it could be anything. Um, we're actually doing elections for the new people this week. So from my vantage point, again, like I, I, this is why I love having you on the pod. Like I see like the official dean's office when there is an issue or something happens – my vantage point is they try as much as they can to involve student leadership yep. and figure out, like, what's the student response or what do we need or what, what are the students asking for? I mean, do you feel that way? I mean, because do you feel like the there is a good kind of cooperation between, like, the official administration and also the student leadership to yes. kind of tackle a lot of things? Yeah, yeah, I feel like they really try hard to involve us in a lot of things. I think the biggest challenge has been capturing the voice of the medical school and getting that back to administration, especially because we frequently have pretty different voices going on. Um, And so as leadership, you're kind of trying to make sure you're speaking for your entire class or the whole school and figure out what students' responses are. But those can often be very different. Yeah. I mean, if you have 125 students per class, 125 different personalities, different backgrounds, different cultures, different undergrad degrees, different undergrad institutions... I think that, Gwen, I think it's really hard for you to, to, you know, for you as a group to kind of speak for the entire, I mean, what do you do? Do you, do you like send out polls or do you we have like town halls? Surveys and I think we like, oh, ever we, or you just we know like, oh, so-and-so is really frustrated with this and you kind of approach them. Yeah. Like, yeah. We'll do some of that. Mm-hmm. Um, I think an area that we could improve on, well, I one hard thing is that the people in student leadership often tend to be the people who are more involved in the school. And then they're also kind of like hanging out with more people that are more involved. And a large group that I think gets underrepresented are people who are maybe somewhat less involved with all of the school things, but still have, you know, opinions about the school. So a thing that I guess comes up a lot is, you know, we got rid of mandatory attendance. So now there's encouraged attendance for some events and not for others. And there tends to be this kind of like... Yet still, people are not happy. Yeah, no one is ever happy. <laughs> Medical students are not... <laughs> I, I'm kidding. They're yeah. happy. but um, They're content. They're content. Yeah. Um, so... Th- I think that's something we could do better at is kind of, ca- but it's hard to 
capture the voice of all these different mm-hmm. people. And um, I think more town halls would probably be better. We do a lot of surveys. We do a lot of just like word of mouth. Um, and then trying as much as possible to be open and approachable for people to bring us issues. Mm-hmm. But they don't definitely as often. It's definitely more kind of the student leadership soliciting yeah. from other people. I think it's an age-old problem with leadership. Like how proactive do you be versus reactive, yeah. right? And, you know, it's hard to be proactive because sometimes you don't know what the problems are until, like, there's, like, a raging fire. But then you don't want to be overreactive. So, yeah, a lot of it's just kind of navigating all of these different personalities and different interests. And there's, like, multiple organizations involved. And, yeah. and I sometimes feel like the students think like oh the dean's office can just like wave a magic wand and change something like oh, it's a lot more, like, yeah it's a lot, a lot more complicated <laughs> than that and then especially i think with your experience when have you seen like you know the different departments are fairly autonomous right so mm-hmm. they're all kind of part of the med school but they're also you know doing their own thing their own, own thing and like they have different people and different interests and so it's kind of like how do you like how do you build a coalition to enact change and how do you get the right people in the room and the right discussions going and build positive momentum to do something um that's impactful and meaningful. So, but it sounds like you've done a great job with like this you crew and, and then talk about, we will what's, yeah. yeah, What's we will about. So that started, it was my second year. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, so Vivian Lee was still here. She was the senior vice president and it actually kind of started, I think it was like an interest of hers and we'd kind of talking about, but getting more female leaders in medicine, um, more than 50% of medical What's the word? Matriculants now? Mm-hmm. Um, are women, but the leadership positions, I actually don't remember these numbers, but they're very small. It's like it's 20% not, or something. It's not 50%. It's, yeah. it's horrible. Yeah. Um, and so kind of this idea of, like, how do we get more women involved in leadership um, in medicine specifically? And um, we did kind of a couple things the first couple of years. And then this year, um, I have a really wonderful group. Um, we have representation from, like, the all four classes. Um, and we did a couple smaller events in the fall, kind of geared more towards mentorship and professional development and kind of cultivating from that way. And then our big event is actually coming up. It's a week from two weeks from yesterday. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's kind of this half day conference we're doing. Um, and talking about a lot of different aspects. So we kind of put it into a few different buckets, but basically getting a lot of our invested, involved female faculty members here who, like, people that students kind of identified as mentors and role models, um, and getting them to come in. We're doing a panel session, and then we're doing all these small groups talking about everything from kind of career navigation basics, because, you know, we have students from all four classes, and we actually also invited some pre-med students this year. Um, So people are in some different phases of the career. You know, a pre-med student could be just about to take their MCAT as opposed to like people who have already matched. Um, so talking about things like finding your passion and what you actually want to do or being a mother in medicine or um, different leadership styles and what that means, um, taking risks, which is something that I think a lot of women um, maybe have felt like less comfortable with or isn't talked about as much with women as opposed to men. Um, but really trying to take a very positive approach to everything and not just like sitting and talking about mm-hmm all the negative aspects when we're just like looking forward and do you feel it's been positive like it's been received very positively yeah. like a lot of like interest because yeah. I've heard some students talk about this it's so, been yeah. we've actually had really a lot of interest and a lot of positive responses um, I think it's been really beneficial um, helping MS1s and MS2s network and kind of gain some mentorship and development in those early stages and then it's just like this refreshing break. You get kind of down in the weeds sometimes of all of your, like the daily life of medical school and, you know, either studying for your finals or boards or, you know, your clerkship things. And it's kind of nice, I think, to take a moment in whatever setting, either this workshop or different things we've done and kind of step back and think, wow, like look at these like inspiring, cool Mm -hmm. 
female identifying leaders and this is awesome that they're doing these things and I want to do things like that and I want my career to look like this or I want to impact people's lives in this way and it's really refreshing and kind of gets you re-energized. Something that's always, you know, that I've struggled with is, uh, you know, um, like the female, the, the women medical students, like they, you know, sometimes they're confused for nurses when they yeah. start doing rotations, yeah. you know, and then, you know, and like by and large, I, I think the faculty don't th- say things that are inappropriate, but every once in a while, yeah. But like patients sometimes, you know, they, you know, I've been in the room when they refer to a female med student as like Mrs. or hun- you know, like, or, I would say often or honey yeah. or sweetheart <laughs> yep. or make some sort of weird, appropriate, inappropriate joke, you know, and, and it's, it's really hard, you know, and like sometimes like, oh, you know, what is the administration doing about this? Like, well, we can create modules till the end of time, but like, I don't, I don't know how to change a 90 year old behavior. No, like society. Yeah. yeah. And so there's definitely this undercurrent. I, 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 I think what you're doing, Gwen, is fantastic, but there, I, I just think there's this undercurrent like society that just is doubtful and is always saying things that are inappropriate and I don't know. It's I, I, I struggle. I go like, what's what's the best response to that? Like, how do you support someone in the moment? You know, do you, do you correct the person right then and there? Do you pull that person aside? I, I don't know. Like, what, what would you say to that? That's one of that's actually one of our workshop yeah. topics. I don't, I don't, did um, this happen to you? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Well, one thing in general, I always try to be really clear about is because being mistaken for a nurse is really common, um, and. It bothers me in that I'm in my medical training and I am going to be a physician, but I like to be really careful about not um, in any way like down talking nurses or anything. Like it's so bad to be a nurse or anything like that. So I always like, you know, you don't want to say anything and like, oh, of course I'm not a nurse. Like nurses are wonderful and amazing and work really hard and are very educated. So I always like to be very careful about that. Um, Typically, I try to correct people. As a student, it's hard because you introduce yourself by your first name because you're not a doctor yet. So mm-hmm. you can say, I know some women who introduce themselves as student doctor so-and-so, and, and that's one um, tactic some people do. I personally feel more comfortable with my name. I've heard a lot of residents who personally introduce themselves as, hey, I'm doctor so-and-so, but you can call me Gwen. Mm-hmm. Um, so those are kind of some little tactics that can set the stage. Um, I remember actually talking to Dr. Lamb about this, and we were all kind of complaining about it, and she made some comment, like, why do you think I wear my white coat? Mm-hmm. Um, and that was... Yeah, it in some ways sucks that you have to or think about mm-hmm. it, but in some ways it's also nice to get just put, some put little uni- tips about put the like, uniform on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, mm-hmm. okay, that's something I could do where mm-hmm. people would think of me in that way, and maybe my male counterparts don't have to, but whatever. I don't know. That's something you can do. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the bystander one is one I think about a lot. A common thing on rounds is you'll be with a female attending, male medical students, and the patient will spend the entire time like talking to the male medical student as opposed wow. to like the female attending, mm-hmm. and so thinking about that and what are things you could do either as the attending or if you're the male medical student or if you were a male attending and you had someone kind of down talking to your female medical students, what are things you can say? And I don't have all the answers to that yet, but I think a little bit of the, like a toolbox of little phrases or something you have would be really mm-hmm. useful. So you, people can come. I'm going to have workshop. to go to this workshop. Yeah. <laughs> learn more. This is fascinating. Things you can just say. talking about this just triggers a lot of memories and just, and just trying to figure this out. It's really hard, you know, and, I want our students to feel supported at all times. And I feel like, you know, what is what is what do we do? What do academic centers do? I think we strive for the ideal. We try to teach the students like this is what you should be doing, this is what you should be learning. But then like, you know, out there is the world. Yeah. And it, it can be a very um difficult place. And 
you know, so when we launch our students into all these different rotations or where they, where, you know, if they're doing, you know, if they're working in these different clinics and volunteering, there's stuff that happens. And I, I, I hope we, we have our students to be very prepared for those moments. But I think it's, it's hard. It's really hard. I think yeah. a lot you just have to learn on the fly or experience mm-hmm. yourself and kind of figure out how you want to go about it and then also how you want to think about it. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't know if some 90-year-old at the VA calls me honey or a nurse, I frequently just don't, like, I don't care. Yeah, <laughs> like, kinda, I don't care. Yeah. Like, whatever, I'm doing my yeah. job. Yeah. I'm going to get the information I need. I'm going to check you for pitting edema. Yeah. I'm going to go on my way. Yeah, I don't, I don't think the VA needs to have more training modules. But yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, Gwen, this has been fantastic. I, I've really enjoyed, yeah, it's been, it's in fact, just watching you grow over the years and, um, and yeah, I'm just excited for the next phase of your journey. Like you're going to be a doctor in a few short weeks. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, then you're going to start residency and then fellowship. And, wow, it's just amazing to watch you grow. It so, goes very fast. Yeah, cool. Well, thanks for coming on. Gwen. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks for listening to Talking Admissions and Med Student Life with Dr. Benjamin Chan, the ultimate resource to help you on your journey to and through medical school. A production of the Scope Health Sciences Radio, online at thescoperadio.com.